iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Yo. Technology. What is it all about? It would be nice as humans to actually publish things to the world that um, have residual value, that don't disappear, and that could be potentially inspirational versus more kind of showing off, look at me, look at me. Yeah. And that's how, you know, we generate connections between people, form these tribes, and ultimately find happiness. Hello and welcome to Danny in the Valley, your weekly dispatch from behind the scenes and inside the minds of the top people in tech. This week on the program, we have a treat for you. John Vlasopoulos. John is the founder of Tribalist, which is a new company that is betting that amid the online maelstrom, we will increasingly rely on lists put together by people we trust for stuff we want or just interested in. Hence the name Tribal List. Get it? Now, if you don't quite buy that, or you're just intrigued by the idea, or you're increasingly frustrated by the way that social media has kind of become the organizing principle of the web as we know it, you should have a listen. Because John has been right out at the edge of several industries that have been completely disrupted in recent years. So he was in the music industry way back when Napster burst on the scene. He was right at the beginnings of the digitization of that industry. He was also early in mobile when that became the dominant way in which we consume all content. He was in reality TV, and now he's launched Tribalist here in San Francisco. And he reckons that basically lists will be one of the new ways in which content is created, curated, and shared online that really gets entirely away from the chronological feeds that dominate the internet today. That is the idea. And he's got some big names behind him, um, including Cherubic Ventures, who are the first backers of Ring the video doorbell that went for a billion dollars, who you may remember was on this podcast, as well as Hims, the generic Viagra company that is going gangbusters, apparently. Other backers include William Morris, the uh, Hollywood agency, as well as a load of angel investors from Apple, Facebook, etc. John can explain it far more eloquently than I, which I will let him do right now. But first, just one more thing. Take a moment, please. Give a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It really does help. I know I ask that all the time, but not only do I appreciate it, it actually does help other people find the show. And next week, I think I'll read out a couple of my favorites. And that is it. So I give you now, without further ado, John Vlasopoulos of Tribalist. Enjoy. There's lots to cover, but I thought it would be interesting just to get your perspective because you obviously have a super interesting background of just to talk about where we are today, 2019, the state of the 
internet and where we are with entertainment on one side, tech on the other, and how these things are melding together. Because So perhaps it would make more sense if you could just give us potted history. So state yeah. of the interwebs, entertainment tech, and me. Here yeah, we just most, a, few, a couple small questions. So briefly, obviously it's great with the Sunday Times being a Brit. I started born and raised in the UK, started my career as a DJ, and then loved music, got into the music business, ended up in Asia. So Seoul, uh, Hong Kong, and then Tokyo, working for BMG when BMG was BMG. Digital started to hit. So, so when you started, was it CDs? Yeah, CDs pre-digital. Thing. Yeah. There's little shiny discs. Even like in Asia, <laughs> we had laser discs and all other kind of physical material. 97, 99, started to get more digital, got on a global task force. I was working for the head of the region, a fantastic guy, Michael Smelly, who taught me the music business. His name was Michael Smelly. He was. He was, he was an incredible man. He always said he wouldn't have made it through high school unless he was a leader. So um, around the region, taught me a lot. So I worked across Hong Kong and, and Tokyo in an Asia-Pacific role. I remember as digital became more on the radar. Back in those days, music was the first media unit to go digital. Um, so joined a global task force team headed by the U.S., guys in New York, Strauss Zelnick and Kevin Conroy. So eventually moved from from Japan to the States. So task force makes it sound, because I, I remember when that started to happen, when Napster yeah. started pirating everything, and it was wonderful if you were a consumer. But if you were inside the industry, was it kind of like, oh my God, what what is happening here? It was more so, we were the Young Turks as a director at like 24, so we were in these elevated positions, and we were the crazy kids going, digital's going to be the future, and you know we're dealing with the bosses. So you were annoying the old people in the company yeah and you had all the old quotes going you know digital is just a, a fad that was the era of mtv mtvi you know with split digital groups mtvi so mtv started a separate interactive group and we had at bertelsman the parent company it was like digital guys and the core guys we had yeah. g&j and, and random house so there was a lot of like the digital guys would do the crazy stuff and then eventually as the cycles happen even now with them publishing i was listening to joe abramson from the new york times and New York Times had the the digital group reporting, and then they yeah. had the core, and you know eventually they all become one and the same. So it was the the early days of digital experimentations, and this is where the future is headed. But from a percentage basis, it was still the analog business was the majority. Yeah. So jumped across to New York in the late nineties, which was which was fabulous, working in a corporate role, doing investing and operations across the company. So that group's now BDMI, kind of doing corporate investing for Bertelsmann. Allen and Company were our bankers, and we looked at 150 different companies with a great crack team. Oli Schusser is, was one mate. He's now running iTunes internationally out of London. So we're a great small group that ended up in buying the Columbia House record clubs and a bunch of interesting. We looked at buying Virgin, the Virgin Megastores. Anyway, super interesting yeah. time. And I think I mentioned to you the other day when we spoke, yeah. the, the state of the music industry today with Spotify, et cetera. Mm. You know, the the Billboard number one album last week or two weeks ago sold 823 albums. Mm. The rest of it was just all streaming. I mean, it feels like basically people have stopped buying music in the kind of the old way. It's just all streaming now. Mm-hmm. How was it at the time inside the industry? Was it how much of it was fear and how much of it was this is an opportunity? Yeah, no, a- a- again, we were the... I think a lot of a lot of the positions I've been throughout my career, we, we're pushing the new against the old. So there was, 
it was the era of DRM. So there were other groups oh, yeah. trying to restrict Digital everything. Digital rights management, yeah. You can only have it on one disc and you can't copy. You know, so there was the core, which, holding onto the core, but the, the group, we actually then did the investment in Napster and there was an era where Napster really, it was the, the most exciting thing, certainly in music, but potentially on the web. And we had a group where we were looking into Napster 2.0 that we never launched, which I still think would have been is better almost than anything that's come What was since. it? It was the whole notion of already people, and this somewhat of what we were doing now with lists, uh, in terms of tribalists, th- these were playlists. So we were looking to merge other things into Napster because people were discovering and sharing. It was going to be a subscription business. We were rolling in Columbia House and uh, BMG Music Club. So you would get, in those days, you would also get yeah. some physical goods. There was a company called Kick.com, which would give you kind of metadata as, aligned with what you're listening to. So if you were listening to something, you would see merchandise and concerts and, yeah. and other things, and there was community around it. So it was, it was kind of a whole 360 music experience versus just the commodity. With a bit of like Discover Weekly in their Spotify style of... Yeah, way, right. yeah. but not only Discover Weekly from one source, there would be a bunch of... So Je- Jeremy Silver, there was a company called Uplister in the depths of digital music history, for a few of us who still track it. So he was pulling like Nick Hornby's favorite tracks and you could discover from great British author one of my favorites and you could discover all his favorite music yeah so it was more it was discovering from people discovering from interesting people not just a sort of monolithic discover weekly or rap caviar it was really this democratized experience where you could discover you could see what other people were into see their playlist yeah but it never never happened so we had a negotiation with the the record labels led by my old boss there's a guy called Andrea Schmidt he pushed a very hard bargain going, mm. we, we can save you and you need to come on board. And long story short, the the, <laughs> the guys at the top, it was their best year ever. Um, right. And they said, we can, we can wait, thanks very much. And then it all folded. But there was a glimmer where, you know, I think Apple wouldn't have, wouldn't have existed and, you know, the whole ecosystem would have, been, would have been different. But it was this early glimpse of kind of a democratization, which has stayed with me for a long time, of, of opinion and ideas and sharing yeah. and connections. Um, and it was also a messaging platform. I was listening to Spotify last night as I was working late. And you can see still on Spotify, Danny's listening to this, but you, you can't do anything. So still 20 years later, um, yeah. there's no community around the experiences. It's still a very commodity-based X amount per month. Not to go deep on, yeah. on music. But it's really interesting that, they, that that didn't happen. And then you had basically 20 years of declining sales for the music industry that's only just turned around, I think, in the last year. Yes, I mean, you could argue they should have said yes, but it's all down to <laughs> personalities yeah. at the time and, and business. And, yeah. and also, it was a short-term, which is a whole separate podcast, it was short-term business. Everyone had to make their next quarter and something that was going to happen big in the next two years, three years, yeah. five years, not my job, someone else will be yeah. doing it. So anyway, so moving on, people were buying ringtones. So it was kind of the beginning of the ringtone era. So a bunch of I us. remember the ringtone business. Yeah, a bunch of us moved over to AT&T, and it was super exciting. We had a partnership with Docomo, which I managed and managed a lot of our, had a youth team, um, and managed our entertainment partnerships and sponsorships and, and news. So we started to bring more media companies, tech companies onto mobile. So yeah. launching the first apps, we were kind of like the early Google and Apple. And we were the open carrier. So we had a Docomo model, which was sort of this 80-20 model, and we were very open to launching everyone, and we launched hundreds of, of partners. I launched Shazam, equivalent in the, in the States, and launched the first mobile music service at AT&T oh. just before we got bought by Singular. 
the beginning of the mobile ecosystem, we launched text messaging in that day. In those days, you couldn't text to people on other carriers. Is if you right? remember those days, yeah. If you that were on seems Timo, so you're gonna, ridiculous. It does. Everything seems ridiculous in, in hindsight. <laughs> but it was a lot of work first getting texting cross-carrier. And we right. launched American Idol, which was kind of teaching people to, to text because it was very esoteric. You would send a text message, nothing would happen. But when the phone buzzed going, hey, your, your vote's been registered, it kind of made it more present in people's minds. So um, when you say you launched American Idol... So AT&T was the major sponsor of oh, I American see, Idol. I see, so the I texting see. component, you know. Was, so that uh, was like an exciting new thing you could do, yeah. vote via text. Exactly. Just on the ringtones, before we move on, yeah. what was the most popular ringtone? It was like the Macarena or something? So there was um, Crazy Frog. Ding, 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 ding. It was this very annoying frog. So there was all the typical <laughs> charting songs. Because I just think about it now. I just remember like people were making millions off selling ringtones, which is just such a weird thing to think about now. So now there are companies like AppAni that trade data. Uh, in those days, we were the arbiters of the data. I could see across my my areas, you know, the companies like month one, they're doing 50 grand, month two, 200 grand, month three, half a million. It's like, what is going on? And this was super early. So there's one company called Zingy by a French founder called Fabrice Grinder. And he started, his numbers started just growing up, growing exponentially. And then there were a bunch of Japanese buyers at the time who were looking to get in or European buyers as America was a laggard to yeah. kind of text and ringtones. So he, he sold at the kind of perfect apex. A bunch of people missed it. Bought How much well. did he sell Zingy for? I just can't remember. It was sub 100 million, more than 10, somewhere in that range. But it was a good check. But like for tens, a, of tens of millions for ringtones. For ringtones. Yeah. But he was making... Lots of money. Lots of money. So that was the illogical notion of people are paying <laughs> more for something that's less and weirdly sounding. And anyway, so that, that continued. People started using the phones for marketing. So it was a founding member of the Mobile Marketing Association. And we thought that uh, we were looking at O2 in the UK and Genie, people who are using the phones already internationally for marketing purposes, text messaging and premium messaging. Short codes didn't exist. So right. we got short codes going. We could text 555 to yeah. whatever and get a, a brand message and it was sort of I'll do a dovetail and skip playing 15 years after this one yep. so we can get to the present but the we did a campaign with American Idol so we gathered about 4 million people who'd opted in for information about the show I've always been fascinated with the notion of advertising where we wanted with mobile to create advertising that basically wasn't advertising right because advertising the more personal it becomes it actually becomes... Um, less annoying it is. Less annoying, but there's a point where it becomes a valuable service yeah. and, then it all, and then it potentially could become something you would pay for. So interruptive advertising and banner advertising we were coming from the web. So we always had the hope on mobile that we could do it better. We had a phone, it was geolocated, it was personal. Yeah. So we did this campaign, which I think was the still the first like um, mobile campaign in the States. So we pushed out, I ran around to my old music industry friends and when Kelly Clarkson, I think in season two, her mm. record was coming out, we worked out at $2 off at Sam Goody and Coconuts when there were record shops yep. and educated the, the guys behind the counter. If someone waves a phone in your face, turn to page two, scan the discount code, and they got $2 off a record. I think of the 4 million, 39% of the people opted in, which if you looked at all these types of, of statistics, which is amazing. Which is amazing. And then like 19% redeemed. <laughs> so, so all the guys in the store, obviously this was a new wow. thing, but it was exciting. Right. So we were going down a path, I invested in a company later that did remnant tickets to shows, but that was a spark of an idea going, hey, I think we can solve remnant concert tickets, which are generally 60% yeah. go unsold. 
So um, emailed uh, the Mays family, Randall, you know, from Clear Channel, said, I think I can solve remnant tickets. And we were going to take that base where we knew their music industry, you know, interests and work with uh, Clear Channel, Ticketmaster yeah. to push out an AT&T kind of concert club that would be more four ninety nine on your bill. And you would get last minute discount. On, on last-minute tickets to whatever concerts. So it was stuff. taking something that, that could have been an interruptive ad yeah. all the way through to something that was personalized. And it's kind of the beginning of the, the notion of branded content right. or content marketing, which people you know have called different things over the years. Unfortunately, the other end of the spectrum is uh, Grandma you know, Jenkins and little, little granddaughter had been mm. borrowing her flip phone to vote on Idol. And then right. grandma gets super grumpy when the phone keeps buzzing on her table and saying, what is all this on my phone? And it's like, it's super spammy. <laughs> so then there was more of a moratorium because you got the whole granny, one end of the spectrum, annoying things she didn't understand why she got. And then music fans at the other end who are going, wow, I get, I wanted to get a radio head and now I get half price ticket same day as the show. This is like magic. We sold the singular, skipping forward. I, I'd always wanted to work in television and went across to work for Endemol. And the web was... Uh, just starting with video and YouTube in the, the mid-2000s. Right. So I came in as a, a head of digital, and we were doing a lot of interactive television internationally, but hadn't done anything in the States. back then, what did they, ha- they had? Was their biggest thing, what, Big Brother? Or? So we were coming off Big Brother and Fear Factor and those right. kinds of shows, and we were just starting a show called Deal or No Deal right? with Howie Mandel. Did you meet Howie? Many times. Is it true that he is a germaphobe? I was just going to say. He was the first person I experienced when we were on set. I took my folks to a show and we were down there. And he would he would never... I was used to handshakes, being a good Brit. And he, he stuck out his his fist. Oh, and I was very confused. Bumps. He did. Interesting. So that was the first time I'd experienced that. Yeah. Um, before Big Hero 6 with the blow it up, as we now uh, now have with the kids. <laughs> and I did discover it's because he is yeah. a germaphobe. And, and I think now... So did you actually start Purelling your knuckles? <laughs> exactly. I don't know which other <laughs> knuckles it come in contact with. Um, but super nice guy. So the, the notion internationally of interactive television where you could use um, a phone yeah. calling or text to interact live with shows was already somewhat existing. hadn't hit the States. So as a naive person in the TV industry, our first big group meeting with NBC and we were the production company and legal standards yeah. and everyone, like 20 people on the phone call. I've been told by our international guys to try and do interactivity in the format in the States. So I kind of said, well, I think we should do this. And there was like silence on the call. So I guess, I guess we're doing it then. <laughs> <And> then <laughs> so it was a bit of a gymnastics for season one, but uh, got some old friends from the telco industry, this company called M-Cube. Jeff Glass and, and his team, Mike Trano, to back up the sort of underpinning yeah. uh, back end and to provide some some insurance and in case everything went wrong. And, and we launched it and got prizing and, and gave away like, I think, three or four million dollars on the show. And it became, we were engaging with a million plus people per So per I've episode. actually never watched Deal or No Deal. So it's a, it's a game where our current princess in the UK, Meghan Merkel, yes. was one of our case girls. So What's a case girl? So we had cases. In each case, there was dollar values from. Oh, so like on the prices, right? They did, and then they'd open the case, or you something. had to guess. So you had to either you had to pick the case that gotcha. you wanted, and then it would go down. And you would get an offer. And Meghan Markle was on, was one of the. She was. Oh, okay. And then you would either make a good deal, banker would offer you money for your case, and the notion was take the deal or don't take the deal. Kind of like Capital Radio had back in the day, the Gong Show, with yeah. Chris Tarrant. Yeah. So my father came and, and my mother, and who were generally you know calm. 
English, my mother's American. And after a few minutes, they're both shouting, <laughs> deal, no deal. <laughs> so it was very polar- polarizing. Yeah. But anyway, so we would, we would have the ability to have a play at home experience. So during the drops, we would do a live drop into the broadcast. So I had like, I think three minutes of the show, which was mine. And we would encourage people to text in to guess one of six cases. People could to, actually win by texting it, right? Biggest prize, I gave away a million, I think we gave away a million dollars in one, in one show. So that became the most successful sort of interactive format. And then I started selling, much to the amusement of some of my friends, TV shows <laughs> in, in LA. So we showed, sold a show to TBS and we had a hit show on BT called Take the Cake, which again was one of the most, inter- cake <laughs> being money. In, yeah. And it was a live kind of chat show game show. It was the Dirty Secret. We were doing millions and millions of dollars a week in interactive revenue. Yeah. And we were holding our rating against Baldwin Hills. And it was fantastic. The producer on the show is this guy, David Armour, who's a legend. It was great. And it was this notion where, again, this other theme, getting back to where, where things are now with, with media uh, and phones and Google and Facebook, is we would have people finally realize, like watching a TV screen, so we had people on the web in those days chatting in chat rooms. Yeah. We had one girl on the TBS show called Jerry, and she had a lot of fans. And so people were in the chat rooms going, I wish Jerry would do her special dance. And then we'd be on the mics going, Jerry, do your special dance from Danny yeah, yeah. 75. Yeah. And she'd go, all right, Danny, this one's for you. And people would freak out, right? But the, the notion right. that the TV was, was suddenly happening in real time. Right. And it was exciting. That journey is still, you have Trivia HQ, HQ Trivia or whatever now, and Facebook's doing confetti. I think what Facebook is trying to do, they're trying to do lots of things, and a lot of it is not working, but they do seem to be trying to like do more kind of original content and kind of push the boundaries a bit. So what is confetti? So confetti is is Facebook's answer to HQ Trivia. It's a live daily game show. It's interesting that no one seems to know about it as big as Facebook is. It's basically what we were doing 15 years ago. A guy is in a little you know, studio and he's talking to camera and there's trivia questions and if you get them right, you stay in. And if you get them wrong, you drop out. And if you're there at the end, you split the pot. There was a few of- How long has it been going on? Three or four months. That's so interesting. I've heard nothing about it. There you go. Do you know if it's actually working? I mean, people are playing. So, so a lot of the people when watching the HQ trivia were, were grumpy going, who is this little company? And obviously they trailed off again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The YouTube people, I know, like looking at, this is a missed opportunity for YouTube, Facebook. So Facebook had a run, or is having a run at it. The opportunity there is not a single show. It needs to be a whole programming approach. So you Mm. need to have like a network play by demographic and have a bunch of shows. Basically Facebook TV. Taking the live live interactive benefits of the platform. So we had, there was a a mid-era where... Uh, the great thing with text is we had close to 100% penetration. The back channel was anyone could access. It was either internet or phone. Yeah. Then with the era of apps, you then had to, and then if you're on Android, download the Android, yeah, you know, yeah, go on yeah, Google yeah, Play, yeah. which is yeah. too complicated. So now you've gone back to these massive platforms like Facebook where you can have everyone on one platform to interact. Right. So it's, it's super, super exciting. And, and I think if you give people the platform and the tools, I think everyone will be very surprised on whether it's, you know, game shows, chat shows. Yeah, because the, the, the prevailing wisdom seems to be that live TV is dead unless it's sports. Everybody else is just streaming on demand what they want. It's very kind of scattered all over the place. But what people seem to be doing less of is actually tuning in at a certain time to watch something. Right. But that seems like this interactive chat show seemed to be 
kind of running against that. Yeah, so I think everything is a is a suite of, or portfolio of opportunities. Yeah, so I'm just saying the the opportunity of doing interesting things, leveraging the back, leveraging a live interactive back channel that's also commercial, where you can win, you can pay. So I think we talked about the Republic of Desire, which is a great documentary about the Chinese live streaming markets. If you want to understand the future, Republic of Desire. I think that is correct, and it's about just checking on my phone while you're talking. All the live streamers in China who have people watch them and then get paid through through tipping but but hundreds of thousands of dollars and then there's annual competitions it's it's bananas but these are all people who are telling jokes and they're appointment based and etc cetera, etc cetera. so here people's republic of desire there we go documentary by how Wu, right yeah. yeah so yeah i think it's an unexplored area where it's an art to doing it so a lot of people yeah. when we were doing it at endemol tried to copy it and didn't quite trying to jam it in where it doesn't work. So it's not for every programming or experience, and you certainly don't want in your Stranger Things, you know, and now <laughs> jump in and choose. Yeah. Although, you know, Netflix has experimented recently with Bandersnatch. Bandersnatch, yeah. So it's, it's a super interesting area, and I think to differentiate offerings where you've got YouTube with their hundreds and hundreds of millions of users around the world still watching recorded, primarily recorded experiences, yeah. doesn't make sense to be their only thing. I think... Through the different things, we've been kind of acting as a studio and building different things and experimenting. Lists, as you mentioned, has always been the through line. Yeah. Lists are great. So I think lists are easy to make, easy to consume, easy to share. They're generally actionable, right? So you've got item, item, item. So we felt, you know, given everything going on in the world right now, it was very important to create a platform that was free, that could be, people could express themselves share their opinions with the world and ideally like inspire other people into action so the notion of tribalist current company is uh, it's a platform for people to discover and create shoppable actionable lists of things that they love so we're currently ca- covering more everyday categories music movies tv podcasts yep. restaurants travel you know bars hotels and looking at the other options on the web you know medium for me i have three half written medium articles it's a little scary you're a professional journalist i'm not i think for a lot of people to read an eight-minute piece is a little scary. Um, By the way, I think that that whole, like on Medium and others now, they, they do, they've started to put the number of minutes that it were yeah. each is, which I just think is a really interesting little signal mm-hmm. because, you know, if you're reading online, you never know quite how long something is. Mm-hmm. And you scroll down, you're like, oh, my God, this is going to take forever. But I just think it's a really interesting kind of indication of where we are that now – you're seeing that more and more where it's like this article will take you four minutes yep and you have to decide yep right then whether it's worth your time yep and i think you know you i would read because you're a professional and and a guy i worked with eight years ago who was in a marketing role who has a nine minute piece so that's a little bit of a tall tall ask we think medium is great for the people who want to engage but we have an issue with uh we call it like the redundancy platforms so with social media they the redundancy of, platforms. Let me dive deeper. Oh, please, so, please do. Please so, do. Okay, so in, in the West, uh, a lot of the businesses evolved from media. So a lot of the new platforms are attention-grabbing platforms that, that yes. feed off advertising, different yeah. in China, whereas more commerce-based. So if your business is capturing eyeballs 24-7, you want to be people to be on 24-7. Therefore, you kind of promote redundancy. I'll give you an example. So in a chronological-based feed... Uh, yeah. Twitter, Facebook, etc. You post, hey, looking for great 
sushi restaurants in London. Yep. Your friends jump in, respond, retweet, answer, and then you go out, and then it's washed away. Right, yeah, it's gone. It disappears into the ether, and you can never find it again. Right, because, because they, eighty million things have been posted since then. Right, because if it, it, it's fueled by redundancy, they want you to repost. They want all the people who might find that useful to not find it useful. They want them them to repost and go, "Hey, what do you guys think?" And have right. another discussion. It creates more engagement. Yeah, because you need to be on. more engagement. Yeah. So it's not good. We're very anti. You know, we've talked separately about you know the addiction and technology. We're very anti. We don't want to be the end experience we want to be the jumping off point for life for amazing experiences so i think when you have the business model of advertising where you're actually farming redundancy you're farming addiction where you have if we're having a conversation now and someone misses the podcast yeah it's again it's hard to find you have to be catch it watch it for sure or have the conversation in in real time uh, or you're in that twitter stream and back and forth and you, if you miss it it's, it's gone so you have to be on the whole time so it's quite stressful for yeah. contributors and it's stressful for consumers great for addiction not we think not great for people actually yeah. getting people to do stuff we wanted people to have a an easy free because there are other platforms like wix and squarespace where in theory you can express yourself you have to pay and get it designed and it's never been as easy as it as it yeah. says in the adverts so we think lists are a great easy thing. You know, we think everyone has two or three lists right off the bat in their head. You know, my favorite local curry spots, beautiful beaches in Spain that I've been to, family, whatever, getaways, you know, yeah. books, books I read last year. So we wanted to make a beautiful, easy to publish platform where anyone with zero skills in under a minute could publish what they love. They could then immediately be a publisher. Fundamentally, everyone now has a level of influence, and you know the Guardian recently wrote about nano influencers. Nano influencers, one to ten or one to five k followers a few weeks ago. So, Mike, so actually, I th- I'm a nano influencer. As am I. Yeah. <laughs> Just a couple of nano influencers hanging Just out, shooting the shit, shooting the shit. <laughs> so, but we genuinely, fundamentally believe, you know, there's nothing more exciting than turning someone onto something you love. Yeah. And this is not the tr- traditional sort of influencer where I am famous, I'm a good-looking guy, a good-looking girl, look at me, look at me, and I'm posting lots of cute shots, and then I get a deal from Swiffer to somehow, and now I'm Swiffering in between yeah. my video. It's people who are genuinely, authentically passionate about something, and it's that feeling of me sitting down with you and going, hey, man, you should check out. Yeah. There's a great winery, there's a great restaurant, you should watch... The favorite, Yorgos Lanthimos, shout out, great movie. Yeah. That's the first great part. The second great part is actually being able to capture the response where you come back and say, because a lot of that is generally missed, John, man, I love that yeah. restaurant, movie, place. Thank you so much. That feels good. That's kind of, we think yeah. that's the whole point of human connections and being alive. The good thing is underneath all that is commerce, basically, is is shopping, right? The trillion, trillions and trillions of dollars, how things get transacted. Yeah, so that's what I was going to say. So how do you monetize that that this model people making you know making lists you know we've been called uh, like the pinterest for lists or there's a company in china called xiaohong shu little red book mm-hmm. so the western little red book so similar to pinterest we have their saying so my line is from passion to purchase so the categories they're in are a little little challenging because it's more food and fashion yeah so we deliberately pick categories that are shoppable so there's large databases if it's a list of boutique hotels in san francisco they're generally available with booking.com or expedia so you're doing deals with a lot of the companies on the other end the, the kind of the brands etc 
Yeah. We we wanted to to make sure everything we had on the platform was actionable. So we built a kind of spider web underneath of usual suspects in each category to purchase. So we wanted to make sure if you were influential and sharing something, the other person viewing it could uh, could consume it. So going back to the State of the Union, second part of the first question, Yeah, it's super interesting. So I started working for a publisher, you know, the beginning of my career as Bertelsmann. We were a big media company. We had G&J, large magazine publisher. We had Random House. Uh, we still do. They yeah. do. We'll dive into publishing for a second. It's yes. Your, it's your home turf. Yes. So I think it's super interesting. So we love journalists. We think journalists are unsung heroes. And I think a lot of the major... Preach, pub- preach brother. Preach. But <laughs> gen- generally, I yeah. think in a lot of the... So historically, within publications, there was the, the business dudes and still... Yes. I love the Digiday podcast and Brian gets into a lot of this. It's this church and state. It's like, should a journalist understand the business side? It's like, we shouldn't understand enough. But There's a real allergy to any interaction whatsoever between the newsroom and the commercial guys. That's just the state. That's just the way it is. Right. At every place I've worked. Right, exactly. We think there are are reasons for it to be separate, but also in the modern world, you look at UK publications, Time Out, Mm -hmm. um, Shortlist Media, there's a bunch of new publications, the new guys leading Time Out is going, well, okay, look, we're we're influential. A bunch of our money is going to come from commercial revenue. Everyone is realizing that we have a brand. Some are moving quicker into new areas there's conferences etc etc but we think the fundamental notion of having that separate doesn't work where you have all the journalists who have who have been behind or inside publication brands are now due to facebook and other platforms sucking out the advertising and now are not able necessarily to be supported on staff and there are more and more fantastic journalists moving getting fired getting fired that's the word um and layoffs this week you know we've seen across the across thousand this week alone um, but that's what's so interesting because I've been in a lot of – I was at The Independent before and now I'm at The Times. And there's, a, there's been lots of conversations you know, with company management or within the newsroom, whatever, around this idea of this kind of – the dissolution a little bit of the line between commercial and what the journalists do. Mm-hmm. As a journalist, you want to be beyond reproach. Yep. That's part of the, the brand. That's part of why people trust it. There is no ulterior motive. Mm-hmm. If you start to meld those two worlds, it becomes very fuzzy and it kind of becomes problematic if I, as a journalist, have some other kind of commercial incentive about what I'm writing about. So I think, which is why I wanted to do Tribalist, I think if mm. it's within the whole notion of pay for play is obviously very yeah. very gray and, and dirty and that's, that's not what we're talking about. But I think, looking at my notes, so John, John Werther at Meredith in running a major, I mean, more on the publishing side than the news, yeah. you know, he wants to make all his media shoppable, you know, I think it provides value to consumers. The point I'm making, I think within these major brands, there's an opportunity to be helpful to people mm. in a positive way. Um, and as long as you are authentic and clear in terms of the communications, you have Wirecutter getting bought by the Times. We would like though to have a platform, bringing journalists and giving everyone a voice, including journalists, influencers, media brands, individuals, consumer brands, where you can actually make a living if you're not getting paid just because you have a million followers to yeah. promote something you don't care about, but if you can actually have a platform to share and talk about things that you already are passionate about and people start to, to trust you and you have this authentic experience, we think that's great. We think there should be many more voices that people hear from. That's what we're excited about. We are partnering with more traditional media companies. 
but we're super excited about giving individuals who have opinions that you would want yeah. to, to know a platform to and do build you, businesses. Is it possible in terms of what you are seeing thus far, say a journalist like me, I work at the Sunday Times, if I have a tribalist page, for me to have that and promote that and monetize kind of my following or my kind of opinions or whatever and still be working for a kind of a, a journalism organization or what I basically have to leave to really kind of make that that kind of melding of my day job and something like that where you're actually just making money trying to make money off your following and your standing so if the ambition is just to make money it's obviously yeah but but if it's having a platform in the same way you're already on twitter etc yeah. etc et so we see tribalist initially as this platform for self-expression where you have an outlet and the key thing is also going back to that redundancy engine your experience that you build you or anyone coming mm. to the platform is like designing your your living room your bookshelf you know your house yeah. the, the, this is how you want everything to look yes. and it doesn't I have get many leather bound books yeah well this is you know here <laughs> yeah. here is yeah. my war and peace here's yeah, my yeah. dvd collection yeah, back yeah. in the day yeah right so people can get a sense of you in in and it's all not washed away right so you can kind of have your home on the web for all things danny right so initially you know we're not pushing hard we think so to answer your question we think yes so we see a disintermediation of kind of commerce and you know traditional media where there's this whole middle swath so now what we looked into the deep into the web and actually found there's very few people publishing useful regular lists if you like yes and generally controlled by four or five you know media conglomerates right we would like to blow that up within those media conglomerates there are people there are yeah there's all this middle swath so we would like to have millions and millions of mini boutiques curators yeah. right everything is going towards a craft world and a niche so yeah. As I said before, I enjoy hanging out with you. I think you have interesting tastes and I yeah. like what you cover and do and talk about. And maybe your lifestyle is more exciting and you can go, you're traveling and going to different places. So if there is a Danny page and I'm in Chicago and we get on and you've got a bunch of restaurants, I think it's, it's likely that I may go to you before I would go to any of the old. And you can find it in a way that's easy as opposed to like, oh, I think he tweeted about that six months ago or whatever. That's right. It's meant to be there and discovered and so the whole notion of um, we've talked to many many people who've either tried to do lists in the past love lists or whatever vc so you know fred wilson talks a lot about lists it's this big missed opportunity he invested in foursquared foursquared were going down a list path yeah and kind of jammed it into the product a little late and now they've pivoted to enterprise data yeah. so a lot of people kind of see the opportunity in the platform but i think yeah it's important that it's we're not to-do lists where it's shopping and groceries it's it's, it's it's this public platform where yes i can reference all the things that you love quickly i don't have to go as you said to twitter and scroll back you know when yeah. my thumb hurts um, and also the, i imagine the kind of the backlash against companies like facebook and others where it's kind of like pilot high sell it cheap it's as get as many people on this thing as possible kind of create this whole advertising machine around it but there's obviously a lot of drawbacks with that model as we've been seeing over the past year and it does feel like there is a kind of reaction to maybe i don't need to have 800 friends on facebook mm -hmm. i need to have the 20 that i actually really are truly interested in looking for the niche as opposed to like the kind of the mass public life that is the internet yeah today. so we, we exactly and i think there's a reason that we called it tribe a list right so S seth godin you know i'm sure we've all read his 
his great book, he talks about, you know, two things we fundamentally need as humans. One is uh, shared interests and the other one is a way to connect. And it's like these forming of tribes. So I have from the my music industry days, there's three or four guys that I used to work with. In the old days, we would do best ofs of the year. And pretty much each year, these guys are not famous. You know, they're not personalities. They're just mates. And that is my 1,500, 2,000 tracks a year. It's all I need, right? So there's no, no yeah. fancy thing, but then my music tribe. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Well, that's so interesting, like President Obama every year publishes his top 20 songs or 30 songs of yep. the year. And I would love to just dig into that, like how many people actually kind of subscribe to that? What, what does that generate? That is exactly the point. So there are other companies right now like Masterclass, mm-hmm. DJ Like Dead Mouse, where people are fascinated. I've worked in, in and out of my career with talent. I was an early like, you know, curator. So what, um, kind of, what kind of music were you DJing? So originally it was more like hard house and and drum and bass, but then I actually was DJed in China. As was, one does. So I studied Chinese for undergrad and um, was living in, in studying in Beijing in the early 90s. And I took my decks, much to the confusion of Chinese customs in the flight <laughs> cases. Um, and my Irish, uh, Irish friend, as we were in one of the clubs, was like to the owners of the club, who we were two lads from Leeds, it's like, oh, my friend John should be, you know, do a better yeah. job and your DJ and the guys were like, how about Friday night? So I ended up from going from bedroom DJ to club DJ. Then I had to play everything because I was up on a crow's nest and there were people from Sweden, Africa and America right. and Canada and the UK. So I became more of a Mark Ronson style yeah. party DJ. So yeah, no, look, I think I'm fascinated by people. I want to retire as a behavioral economist. Right, and the whole notion, if you study how culture evolves, a lot of it is through mirroring and reflection as you see fashion trends. And unfortunately, up to now, it's become with uh, everything disappearing, TikTok comes out and their big advancement was disappearing in 72 hours versus 24 hours. Everything disappears. Yeah. So we, we think it would be nice as humans to actually publish things to the world that um, have residual value, that don't disappear. And that could be potentially inspirational versus more kind of showing off, look at me, look at me. Yeah. And that's how, you know, we generate connections between people, form these tribes, and ultimately find happiness. 
as we find people who are, you know, aligned with our interests and we can communicate with them and connect with them. So we're very passionate about the mission and whether it's Obama sharing his or I love, yeah. you know, Colbert or whoever it happens to be or I love a sports star. So we're starting to, starting to work with some, some major brands to come onto the platform where if you're a major brand and you have an endorsement deal with an athlete or a singer, what a perfect way to extend your sponsorship to have them on on Tribalist and they can share and connect with all right. their fans. Here's all the things that I love. And you ultimately then feel closer to that person. And then you can also make suggestions to them. So before Lists was stuck on Apple Notes in notebooks, Google Sheets, Evernote, blah, 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 all these yeah. experiments over the years. And they were static. They were text. They were static. So now as I post my, I went to Berlin last year, my like best restaurants in Berlin, I'm having friends from, from Germany and who are traveling adding to my list new things. So they've become these living, breathing communities. So suddenly they have this you know, new value with, as the community and the tribe builds. We think that if we can encourage people to sort of share their interests and there'll be more tribes within the platform, you know, then if you're looking for, so we have one of our advisors, he's a massive coffee guy. Mm -hmm. So he's starting to build lists of top you know, coffee, whatever, shops in different countries around the world. He's getting his community to come in and join. So then our algorithm will deliver, of all the lists that are published around that tribe topic, here are the best this things. This is the best coffee if you want the best coffee. Kind of coffee. a meta list. Yeah, right, 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 tribal right. List. And then community, where now community on the web has still been more, uh, I'm killing time, right? So, hey, what's up? How are you doing? You know, whatever, yeah. talking about whatever. I love anime. I love sports. It's shooting the shit or whatever. But we, we think the future community is we're all becoming more. We want to hack our lives. We want to you know maximize. We want to do the best things, read the best things, go to the best places, eat the best things. Is that it will be more this action-driven community. So if you have the lists at the forefront of the coffee community yeah. or the coffee tribe, you can still have conversations. But then they're rating right. you know, the things. So I'm, I'm a member in Marin of the, um, on Facebook of the Marin Foodie tribe. Right. right, And I'm trying to hack Facebook to make it more useful where I'm doing a poll and trying to do a list and go, what do you think? But then again, then it gets buried as we talked yeah, about yeah. before. Yeah, I just want to know if there's a community of 400 of us in Marin, I want to know what are the you know great Mexican spots, the brunch spots yeah. and voted by the community. And I, if I have a question, I, I know who the people are and I can connect. So it's this not one to many, it's these millions and millions of of, again, nano... A few to a few. A few to a few, a few to some, yeah. a few to many. Our notion is anytime there is a moment of inspiration in media or peer-to-peer, -peer, mm. that should be able to be tracked and kind of follow through to a, an action because every, otherwise everything is a wasted opportunity. Yeah. So we, we want to be the platform, again, to share quickly and easily from big brands like Travel Channel down to individuals to normal people Put out what they love. If, if you're hyper-local and yeah. you're in, you know, I grew up in, in Weybridge in the UK, if you've got the, the best pubs in, you know, Weybridge, Cobham and Isha, right? That's super local. Yeah. However, if you can get a bunch of people doing all their lists, then eventually you, you, you have, by the yeah. people of, of Isha, Cobham and, <laughs> and Weybridge, these are the best empirical, everyone yeah, yeah. submitted 400 lists. This pub is the number one pub. And it's, it's a totally different experience to the sort of the Yelps and the trip advisors where it's this bland middle of the road and it's the yeah. whole thing where I don't know this person's from 
you know, this state or this country. Isn't that kind of like Google, like when I Google something? If I Googled pubs in Weybridge, there would be a list that came up on Google and they would have ratings. Right. And reviews. And the notion is like, so you have a TripAdvisor one and you're like, yeah. And that was someone hated this pub because the person on that day had like slept in late and was grumpy. Right, so that dropped it to a one star, and that one. It was really funny, it. actually. You say that because my wife and I got married a few years ago, and we're like, "Oh, we're gonna go to uh, Thailand for our honeymoon." And we're looking at hotels, and we found this amazing hotel, but it had like the top review was this German from a German guy who was really, really angry that their outdoor restaurant had lots of bugs. Right, and that in the morning they didn't have a certain type of nut that he was really desiring for his breakfast. Yeah. And he was really passionate and really angry about it, about the bugs and the lack of nuts. But it was very prominent and it knocked down the whole rating and you're kind of, but then you look at it and you're like, oh, this guy's just weird. Sure. And I think, <laughs> but another example, a friend went to, to Yosemite yeah. and was looking at a, you know, a five-star, everything golden. Yeah. Um, he wanted to go a little bit off the grid. Yeah. And let's say he's more, you know, whatever guys like us. And five star, couldn't say anything wrong, went there and it was basically, you know, huts with morgue beds, mm-hmm. metal beds. Oh, nice. And, and it's, <laughs> it's all reflective again of the, it's the echo chamber. So they left within five minutes. It was like communal showers and right. kind of, that was too off the grid yeah. for him. But obviously all the people there loved it because that's what they were looking totally. for. I would love to have in the future where there is still an even stronger position for I, again, love what Neil's doing with, with Dot Dash, the sort of new about.com. So people are being, if you do run a publication where you can hire a staff and have a media sales team and advertising and whatever, and there's a bigger op- operation, be really useful and go niche. You know, they right. have to travel vertical, et cetera, et cetera. And then all the people in the middle, we're not depending on four or five outlets per topic. Yeah. So we would like to, again, empower people because, again, in life, we think it's all about experiences and, and living. And so we want people to realize that even if they're small, they're influential. Yeah. And they could be influential, like me and my music friends, to a few people. And you can generally make an impact on their lives. Having a platform, again, that's not this redundancy where it's all about attention and then the moment, but you can yeah. actually relax, have your space, and kind of share what you're passionate about to the world, even if you're not making millions of dollars off yeah. the, the back end and you become like a, a business at least you can have the karma where people are just going, hey, Danny, man, I checked out that restaurant book, you yeah. know, et cetera, et cetera. Thanks, man. That was, that was super cool. By the way, if you checked this out, there's the whole notion of people as brands. So again, whether you're a brand, whether you're a media company, individual influencer, I would love in the future for just all of us to have more choice. And through those choices, there's also this cultural notion where I feel we look to differences. We don't celebrate things yeah. that we have in common. So, well, Especially in traditional social media. Yeah, and so I think it's a nasty time, again, with, with trolls and this and that and the other. But if you can have people from other cultures, other countries, yeah. go, Sweden, here are the top you know, books by Swedish authors. Oh, I never knew that. Or people kind of representing that United Nations of culture. Like when we are kids, and you know, I used to backpack and we all had yeah. our time. And you go, oh, man, this is, what, this is what's happening in my country, my town. People are sharing and they're excited yeah. about their passionate. And then through that, you learn... I call it cultural currency. You learn about the other culture. Yeah. And then when I went to Egypt, I got invited to this dude's house and he, he and his family made molochea, this dish. And now every time I meet an Egyptian, if I just mention the word molochea, immediately gives a smile. We're fairly deep on, you know, they call it the interest graph or the taste graph. Mm-hmm. 
and a lot of the data that we've we've gathered from the DJ example, people would come and say, "Hey, man, I love that track." What? A, and you would know because you just spent more time. It's the whole thousand hours or ten thousand yeah, hours. Ten thousand hours. Yeah. We we'd spent more time in a sector, so I could say, "I know your pattern." I'm assessing you, and I, you will like this, this, this. And go, yeah. Oh, my God, it's amazing. Yeah. So we think that data has never been gathered at scale. So even from the data that we're starting to gather, we think there's a notion of, let's say you're a whatever, tribalist type 6, mm-hmm. and, and I'm a type 5, right? right? So we can see there's, there's alignment, and it's over time as well. You may have been at the moment more, or you just had more time to do it. So we think we can start to accurately predict, certainly within the categories that we're in, which is intuitive when you talk to people. It's like, if we hang out and I'm getting a sense of you with similar guys and I say, oh, you haven't been to that restaurant? I think you'd like it. From a data perspective, if we know all the restaurants that you love and we know that across this relational database of all the community, we can start to be magical. Like you're talking with Amazon, just I've shopped diapers and yeah. I now the kid must be older, so we'll yeah. deliver a bottle as well yeah, or, yeah. or whatever. So there's intuitive things from shopping, shopping. But the interest data and the taste data, we think we're not as complicated as we think we are. No. And if you have enough of the patterns, it's like, yeah, if you go to New York, you'll love this restaurant. You know, if you want to read a new book, right. you'll love this book. And it's these little people jumping on the top book of, you know, Seth Godin, his tribes, or whatever the book of, is of the moment. People jump on it. And it's pretty likely then you'll, if you like that, and you haven't read that, you like this, this, and this. So for the people who are more evolved in the sort of cultural journey, yeah. who've done more of it, they've read more, they've traveled more, you should be able to eliminate shitty experiences for the rest of the people. So yeah, so there's a data angle, which is the underpinnings, which yeah. we're very passionate about, is delivering that, that magic. And then we think there'll be more of it. And that is all the time we have. I want to thank John for sitting down to talk. I hope you enjoyed it. I am off this week as well. So nothing in the paper for me. I will be back next week. But... I am on social media at Danny Fortson on Twitter. Uh, you can also email me at danny.fortson at sunday-times.co.u. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Okay, I'll be back next week writing for the paper. Not sure what yet, but I'm sure um, the Valley will generate something newsworthy or several things. Anyhow, hope you have a good weekend and talk to you next week. Bye-bye.